0: Hello to all of you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's policy seminar on repurposing ag policies and support. My name is Charlotte Hebebrand. I'm the director of communications and public affairs at IFPRI. There is a lively debate underway about how best to repurpose uh, agricultural support to help accomplish a transition to more sustainable food systems. And today, we're looking at some new research from the World Bank and IFPRI, which was released just last week. Um, You can find the link to that work in the program as well as in the chat. We'll be very keen to hear from you during this uh, uh, program. And please uh, do join us in the Q&A sessions. You can submit questions in advance um, on ifpri.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag #AskIFPRI on Twitter. It's now my pleasure to invite Mari Pengestu of the World Bank to give opening remarks on this important topic. As the World Bank's Managing Director of Development Policies and Policies and Partnerships, and as a former chairperson of IFRI's Board of Trustees, she is the perfect person to put this report into its proper context, having also served as Indonesia's Trade Minister. Thanks so much for joining us, Mari. Thank you, Charlotte, for that introduction.
1: Uh, Good morning, good afternoon, uh, everyone. It's a great pleasure for me uh, to open this event today and be amongst uh, many old friends who have contributed to the report as well as uh, those who will be on the panel later. And it's a double delight for me uh, to be uh, launching the report that has been a collaboration between uh, the two institutions that I'm involved with, the World Bank uh, and IFPRI, Uh, that I hope will deepen our understanding of the trade-offs and opportunities of sustainable uh, food systems. Uh, Let me uh, begin by providing the context uh, for today's discussion. I think for the last uh, number of years, the World Bank, IFPRI, and other partners have increasingly looked beyond uh, agriculture productivity to focus on the overall performance of the world's food system. And together, we have found that these systems do produce an impressive amount of calories, but could do a better job of feeding the world with more nutritious food, higher incomes for farmers, and fewer impacts on the planet. And this chapter focus on the food system outcomes with a triple win for people, uh, farmers, and the planet comes from the realization that current practices are tightly linked with three overlapping crises: the health, poverty, and environmental crisis. First on the health crisis, Poor nutrition and dietary risks are a leading cause of low human development, chronic disease, and premature deaths in many countries. With the pandemic, we're also finding that people who are overweight and obese are more vulnerable to COVID-related complications. Yet about 3 billion uh, people still cannot afford healthy diets. Second, on poverty. While many farmers make a good living, poverty is still predominantly rural. And rural poverty is closely tied with low agriculture productivity, poor access to markets, and difficulties acquiring the skills to move into non-farm sectors, among other issues. And then finally, on the planet, food systems uh, produce close to one-third of global greenhouse gas uh, emissions and are a leading cause of biodiversity loss. And agriculture is also on the front line of droughts, pests, heat waves. Uh, And uh, this impacts obviously on current and future productivity. And by some accounts, the hidden costs of current food and land use systems amount to $12 trillion per year, vastly over uh, outweighing the market value of food systems, which is estimated at $10 billion a year. These points have been made at prominent events, including the UN Food Systems Summit recently and the Climate COP. And awareness of food system costs is growing, and we see a greater demand for change. So to to meet this demand for change, we see new coalitions and analytical work, including the report that we are launching today, uh, to to see what the solutions are and therefore accelerate the transition to better food systems. We have seen some recent progress uh, on this. In 2020, for instance, the World Bank launched a new multi-donor trust fund called Food Systems 2030 that stands ready to help countries with policy advice to transform their food systems to meet SDGs in September 2021 at the UN food system summit the World Bank IFPRI and the Food and Land Use Coalition presented the food finance architecture which focuses on how to optimize public spending and mobilize private capital for good uh, for a global good uh, global food uh, system transformation and at COP26, the UK Presidency, the World Bank, and the Just Rural Transition launched the Policy Action Agenda for the Transition to Sustainable Agriculture, which sets out pathways and actions that countries can take to deliver positive climate and nature outcomes that enable uh, a Just Rural Transition. And today, uh, we meet to discuss a new report that analyzes the options, as uh, Charlotte mentioned, for repurposing agriculture policies and support while paying close attention to trade-offs. And indeed uh, the modeling work and the simulations done on various scenarios is how can we avoid solving one crisis at uh, the expense uh, of the other. And the goal is really to be able to steer uh, public spending towards the triple win of healthier outcomes for people, the planet and the economies at the same time and the key message from this report is that this is possible uh, to have uh, better outcomes on these triple objectives but it's not automatic they require careful repurposing of policies as well as the right type uh, of investments and uh, really at the end of the day this triple bottom line is really important uh, as consumers farmers and governments already struggle to purchase and produce food against a backdrop of rising fertilizer and food prices, supply chain delays, lost employment, climate impacts, and growing fiscal constraints in the wake of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, uh, in closing, I really look forward to hearing uh, the findings of the report, the discussions that will follow, and hope that they will help policymakers navigate the complexities of food system transformations for the benefit of all. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Mari, for outlining the the, the triple challenges facing food systems and the discussion around finance. And of course, repurposing is a big part of uh, the potential finance that can be used here to accomplish that triple win, as you say. Uh, We'll now hear from the authors of this report. They will be presenting their research findings, after which we have a a number of uh, several distinguished discussants. And we're very grateful that they could all join us for today's um, Uh, Presentations and and discussions. Um, The report will be, the findings will be kicked off by Madhur Gautam, who is the lead economist at the Agriculture Global Practice at the World Bank, followed by Will Martin, Senior Research Fellow at IFPRI. And then last but not least, Rob Voss, who is the Director of the Markets, Trade and Institutions Division. They will pass the baton on to each other. Over to you, Madhur. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Charlotte, with this excellent overview that Mari has provided. It is our pleasure to present this study, this new study on repurposing agriculture policies and support. The study is joint work by IFPRI and the World Bank undertaken by the three of us presenting today and our IFPRI colleagues, David Laborde, Abdullah Mamoun, and Valeria Pinero. First, why this report and why do we need to rethink and repurpose agricultural and food policies? Persistent challenges, next slide, please. Persistent challenges to global food security and the existential threat of climate change raise questions about the suitability of current agriculture policies and the incentives they create to address challenges of today's and tomorrow's food system. This question was put prominently on the table at the UN Food Systems Summit, COP26, and in other fora. Previous studies, including the FAO-UNDP-UNEP study, to which early work from this study contributed, conclude that this support the present support is not effective in solving today the problems of global food security and stave off uh, the threat of climate change the outstanding question this study addresses is how the massive su- public support currently provided to agriculture over 600 billion dollars could be repurposed to deliver better outcomes for health of people economies and planet next slide please over the past 60 years agriculture has performed impressively with food production outpacing population growth as seen from the figure in the left panel. But continuing to feed the world's population, which is expected to grow to nearly 10 billion by 2050, could, and to do so sustainably, is becoming increasingly difficult. First, despite greater food production, global hunger has been on the rise since 2015. Second, as the figure on the right hand, in the right-hand panel shows, the growth in food output per capita has both slowed and has become more volatile in recent years. Next slide, please. Third, climate change is no longer a distant threat. It is already adversely affecting agriculture. Climate change has slowed productivity growth by 21 percent globally and, has, and as much as 40 percent in parts of Africa and other tropical zones, which are clearly hit hardest, as you can see on the map. Even more worrisome is that this adverse impact is intensifying, pushing the world closer to a tipping point when climate change impacts offset all productivity growth with devastating consequences. Next next slide, please. Before turning to policy options to address these challenges, let's first look at the degree and nature of current support. In 2016 to 18, from 2016 to 18, total support worldwide averaged $638 billion per year. The level of support varies widely across countries. In absolute terms, most of this support goes to China, goes to farmers in China, the European Union, and the United States. More than 70 percent is linked to farm production and input use, influencing market prices and production decisions. Only 17 percent of the current support is for public goods and services supporting agriculture, such as research and development, and rural infrastructure. About one-tenth takes the form of subsidies for consumers. With worsening climate change and volatile markets, government support to farmers is very much needed. With this in mind, this study assesses the options for repurposing to better support farmers such that collectively they can contribute to solve the societal problems of food insecurity, poverty, climate change and unsustainable patterns of food production and consumption. Next slide, please. And with that, I hand over to my colleague Will Martin to present the key findings from the study.
3: Thank you, Madhu. How do we address this policy question For this, um, we created a consistent global database of subsidies and emissions. We then adopted a model for the global economy that allows us um, to track impacts of reform on emissions from production and land use change, uh, impacts on farm incomes, food security, diets and poverty. We gradually introduced alternative policies um, during the period to 2025, and then we run scenario simulations with the model out to 2040 and assess the impact relative to a projected baseline or or business as usual scenario next slide please The, the business as usual scenario projects that emissions from agricultural production and land use change would double by 2040 and an additional 56 million hectares of land would be converted to farmland between 2020 and 2040. 80% of the growth in emissions would come from producing livestock and rice. Despite substantial growth in agricultural production and overall economic growth, we project only a modest decrease in global poverty in the baseline. Next slide, please. We then consider a broad range of of options for repurposing support to get better outcomes for people, the planet, Um, and the economy. First, we look at what would happen if governments eliminated all support. Second, we consider what difference a reallocation of support by commodity would make. For this, we look at what if all agricultural commodities received the same rate of support? What if support were reallocated to favour commodities with low GHG emissions per unit of output? Third. We consider what would happen if payments to farmers were made conditional on reducing emission intensive inputs with currently available technologies. And finally, we consider repurposing a part of current support to develop and promote productivity enhancing and emission reducing green innovations through targeted investments in R&D and promoting adoption of these innovations. Next slide, please. What do we find? We first look at impacts on emissions and on nature and land use in particular. Clearly, the, the scenarios with removal or reallocation of support don't produce the game-changing reductions in emissions needed for sustainability. If we look at the first set of bars there, the scenario that makes payments to condition time as conditional. On adopting environmental practices um, uh, with existing technologies would be beneficial for the for nature by reducing emissions. Sorry, for, cl- for the climate by reducing emissions, but not for nature. The emissions re- reductions come at the cost of lower productivity. This means more land would be needed to meet food demand. Finally, repurposing support for green innovation could lead to a very large cut in emissions 40 percent greater resource efficiency would also allow about 50 million hectares of agricultural land to return to natural habitats this beneficial scenario is not just pie in the sky but builds on evidence for new technologies that have shown enormous potential to both reduce emissions and raise agricultural productivity next slide please The economic and social impacts of the different repurposing scenarios critically depend on what happens to productivity. When removing all support or reallocating it without improving productivity, the first bars on the graphs, we find negligible gains or even losses for the overall economy. Um, While farm output falls, poverty and food insecurity would rise and healthy diets would become less affordable because of rising prices. In contrast, repurposing a portion of existing support for green innovations, the lower bars on the ground, could generate um, triple or even quadruple wins, generating significant income growth, reducing poverty and food insecurity, and making healthy diets more affordable, in addition to benefiting environmental sustainability. Next slide please, and I now hand over to Rob Voss for some final comments on the policy implications.
4: Thank you, Will. Um, So in short, the key insights from the study would be that first, the current agriculture support is a very blunt instrument for fighting climate change and for addressing the challenges of global food security and nutrition. Second, there's great potential for achieving major gains on these fronts by repurposing support towards public investments that facilitate the widespread adoption of productivity enhancing and emission reducing technologies for agri-food systems. Further, these policies are likely to have strongly positive international spillovers. Innovations that reduce environmental impacts and raise productivity are likely to either be rapidly adapted in other countries or to provide the basis for developing technologies uh, in other ecological environments next slide please so these findings make a very strong case for action and more to the point for internationally concerted action but as we also recognize in the report we're very well aware why this is not happening yet even the best designed policy reforms will face political hurdles as overcoming national resistance to agriculture policy reform from affected stakeholders will be a huge challenge. So for this, a better understanding of who the likely winners and losers are will be essential in order to earn political support. So from this perspective, we hope that the insights from this study will create better understanding of the short and long-term cost and benefits of repurposing agricultural support measures. Such an understanding, in turn, should contribute to reaching consensus on a common reform agenda and lastly as already mentioned action will have to be internationally concerted this is so because the challenges are global and international coordination is needed also because present agricultural support is distributed very unevenly across countries poor nations have less fiscal space to provide agricultural support and also the agricultural research centers Um, are less capable for developing high productivity and sustainable farm technologies and practices relevant to the local context. Their farmers and other food producers face bigger obstacles in adapting those practices. Hence to be effective at the global level, an even-handed diffusion of both technologies and financial resources will be needed, such that all people, all economies, and the entire planet can reap the benefits of agricultural policy reform. With us, we end our presentation and we look forward to hearing from the panel how our research findings could be translated into concrete and concerted action.
0: Thank you so much to all three of you for that very clear presentation. Important takeaways are that there are different options for repurposing but that the option uh, of pursuing green innovation is the most promising. However, there are a lot of uh, constraints here in order to get such an agenda through as outlined uh, by that last presentation from Rob. We now have a really great set of speakers to speak about this topic of um, green innovation and how uh, this can really play a game-changing role in in getting us to those triple wins that uh, Marie spoke about. Um, Before I turn to that panel, let me remind all of you to please submit your questions already. Uh, We will be moving to the Q&A session uh, soon. You can submit your questions on ifpre.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag #AskIfpri on Twitter. So It's only appropriate that we start off this discussion from a farmer's perspective, and we are delighted to have with us today Theo de Jaeger, who is the president of the World Farmers Organization, Theo, thank you for joining us. Please talk to us about how farmers view this um, topic and, in particular, how they would like to engage with some of these new green innovation technologies that have the purpose of increasing productivity. Of course, very important, but equally important now, creating more sustainable uh, agriculture. Over to you, Theo. Thanks so much. Thank
5: you very much, Charlotte. As farmers, we are we really appreciate the opportunity to be part of this kind of discussion. Of course, we we should never talk as if farmers are a homogeneous group across the globe. It's not. You cannot compare the conditions, the markets, the modes of production in Africa to that in Asia, or that in North America, to that in Oceania. Not all farmers are even supported by the public. And this debate is to a large extent, not that relevant to a large part of the farming population. But whilst we are at it, farmers feel that we should utilize this opportunity to bring more harmonization in policies, they should be better harmonization in standards too. The world became a very small place for farmers and we are all producing into the same markets. Hence, let's take the opportunity of repurposing public support also to level the playing fields across the globe, to share the technologies across the globe and to ensure that we have one set of rules, one set of standards for all farmers for 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 the kind of food which we take into the cities to the markets because we so often say that we talk about value chains in agriculture simply because you cannot push a chain can only pull it you want to bring about fundamental change on farms you start with it in the demands of the markets farmers will always farm what they farm and how they farm because of what the consumers demand from them. And hence, this repurposing of policies and of public support should make sense, especially to the farmers who need to buy into it. And when I talk about making sense, I mean the word in two ways. It must make economic sense because farming is a business and it needs some um, readjustment in the business, in the enterprises on farms. But it should also make scientific sense. So important that science speak the final word. And we saw that in the run-up to the Food system Summit where it took a lot of effort to build trust between all the players in the value chain, and all the stakeholders who took part in the debates. It does not make scientific sense. Farmers will say it's not sustainable, it will change in any way again. So why then start off with it? I think at the basis of this is something which I actually took uh, a page from from the the book of Martin for nuclear. When I first met him, we spoke about soil health and why it is so important for farmers to embrace soil health. Now, since that day, this thing has spread like wildfire because all of a sudden in the debates between national farmers organizations and the regional ones, farmers started to say to each other that soil is very literally at the bottom of everything we need to change. And what a great investment for any farmer, because you invest in yourself, the soil doesn't go anywhere. It remains on my production unit. Hence, I want to make a plea that very central to this debate we have today, that we talk of soil health as the trigger of the repurposing of the aims of repurposing public support. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Theo, Uh, also for pointing out the heterogeneity of uh, farmers around the world and the fact that it's only a few countries that are actually able to provide such substantial support. So as we think to change and to repurpose and, and focus on green technologies, obviously, there's a great need to get those technologies into the hands of farmers all over the world and to make them specific to their individual settings. Uh, let's now move on to Ruben Echevarria. Uh, Ruben serves as a senior advisor at the Agricultural Development uh, uh, Division of the Mil- Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, as of one month now. And uh, Ruben is also the chair of the Commission on Sustainable Intensification, and he will speak um, on the um, the conclusions of that uh, commission uh which i believe also really strongly point to this need to both increase productivity and uh reduce emissions over to you ruben thank you very much for joining us
6: thank you thank you it's a pleasure to be here thanks to ifp and the world bank for the invite Uh, i i will i have just a few modest comments as outgoing chair of of cosai Uh, this international commission concentrated on promoting more and better innovation to transform agri-food systems in the global south. And by innovations, we mean not only technical, but finance, policy, and institutional. So I, I find the report uh, uh, amazing. Uh, you know, We are biased in this panel. Uh, I think this is a fantastic uh, report, very relevant to promote investments in more sustainable and high impact options, green innovations, uh, which is very, very convergent what, what we found in the commission. We know that there is a huge potential for technological progress capable of substantially reducing emissions, so technically the science, as Theo was just mentioning, is there. Uh, So we can increase, enhance agricultural productivity a lot with all the science evidence that that we have, and we also know that there are challenges for adoption of such uh, technological progress in in the Global South where, uh, where I'm coming from. So I, I also find the idea of repurposing a much wiser one than simple trying to stop those production subsidies. And that was a great aspiration that many of us pursued for decades, but uh, without really working on the political economy on the on that support. So finding better ways to support producers is is a great alternative. Now, to be pragmatic, uh, we shouldn't believe I think that it will be easy. To reorient billions of subsidies, uh, billions of dollars of subsidies to invest in innovation in the very short term. We should so we should not only focus on those on those current subsidy funds with great expectation of repurposing, but also explore other sources of funding, private sector, public sources, and so on. A key issue in the report, I think, the, at the core of the report is the need for funding innovation in sustainable ag intensification to increase productivity and not to subsidize low productivity agriculture. Because lower yielding farm practices could potentially reduce emissions, but they would entail a huge trade-off for people, nature and economic prosperity with much lower production and so on. So as we agree that investment in innovation in sustainable intensification is critical, I, I must say that most governments in the Global South don't have much subsidies to repurpose. but but they need to take decisions and invest much more on AG innovation and promote much more private sector and civil society investments. So for the global south, many governments would say, well, we don't have too much subsidies to repurpose. well, but there is a huge role to play in getting the policy context, civil society and private sector investment coming on. So we find that there are many trade-offs at the Commission to, to keep an eye on while developing these innovations. So research from the Commission showed that in the absence of an intentional focus on a variety of issues and alternatives important for sustainable agriculture, it won't happen just as a by you know as a miracle. So the, the commission and others are uh, including the World Farmer Organization, the World Bank and many others. Are, are, we are piloting a set of principles for innovation and a simple scoring mechanism that can be applied and can be a collective action and can be applied at key stages of design and development of innovations to help managers and funders ensure that they are considering these key trade-offs. As we have seen in many countries, repurposing subsidies could not be politically easy, as it was mentioned, unless Farmers are rewarded and supported for the changes they have to make in their own farming systems. So a study just finished to finish a study from the commission also has highlighted the absence of these instruments. So where are these instruments? Yes, there is a lot of science, there's a lot of good intentions, but where are these instruments at the farm level that can incentivize farmers to protect and restore the environment? I'm thinking about payment for ecosystem services, which is being on the agenda for 20 years or more so this this i think builds on the good work done by valeria pinheiro and other colleagues on on the adoption of these instruments i think that's uh, more focus should be should be there on how to adopt those available set of instruments they currently only reach a small fraction of farmers in the global south and they record and improving uh, the environment and livelihood is mixed at best. So more work on the instrument is needed. So just my point to end, Charlotte, is that uh it would be very critical to involve farmer organizations. Uh I, I I thought and wrote about these notes before listening to Theo, so but this is a good uh, a good uh, follow-up of on that one, because farmer organizations, I mean. We discuss a lot in the academic and in the think tanks and the, in the organizations, but at the end, if farmers' organizations are not involved and, uh, in this design and testing, better instruments uh, is, is is no way forward. So I know there are a lot of civil society, farmer producer organizations already working on this. So that would be a welcome combination together with research. Thank you very much for inviting me again.
0: Thank you, thank you very much, Ruben, for highlighting some of the outcomes of your work uh, at the Commission, and uh, I, I highlighting obviously the, the very important role of farmers. And also, you make a very good point that although repurposing will certainly provide, hopefully, some some new funding uh, towards this agenda, it, it, we need to really look at other sources of funding as well, and and also look at the policy agenda uh, more generally as well. So farmers are, of course, the beginning of the value chain, and we're now going to move uh, a little bit more into the middle of the value chain. We're very pleased to have with us Dirk Jacobs, who serves as the director general of of Food Drink Europe, uh, which includes um, some of the major manufacturers, food and beverage manufacturers uh, in, in Europe. Uh, Dirk, you're going to tell us a little bit about how this part of the value chain views the repurposing uh, discussion. Over to you. Thanks so much.
7: Thank you, Charlotte, and uh, good morning and good afternoon to everyone. Uh, Thank you, first of all, to IFPRI and the World Bank for for this opportunity, uh, and congratulations on your report. I'm representing Fooddrink Europe, uh, which is the organization for the European food and drink manufacturing sector, uh, one of the largest sectors uh, in manufacturing of Europe, uh, with over 289,000 companies, and 99% of which are small and medium sized. And our industry relies very much on a stable supply of safe, competitively priced and sustainably produced agricultural raw materials, and that's why we process around 70% of the entire eu's agricultural output but we're also reliant on imports of some key ingredients uh, from uh, elsewhere outside of the eu um we are not only the largest manufacturing of europe but we're also the largest food and drink exporter in the world and a major importer so i think in the global context uh that that makes it necessary also to be uh, facing the sustainable food systems agenda and living up to it and And indeed, the volatile world that we're living in uh, is putting the resilience of our food supply chains and food systems to the test, and as a middle part of the chain that hits us in in several ways. Um, We've seen now in Europe that we've generally remained uh resilient during the COVID pandemic despite all the pressures that we are facing and unfortunately we still have to see what the impact is going to be of some of the closures of borders of worker shortages of uh, markets and channels that have been closed but i think what is even more worrying is the volatility that is created uh, by the, the the climate change crisis which food of course is one of the first to feel But also food is the solution to many of these issues and as an industry, uh, we are therefore very much aligned to the objectives of um, achieving more sustainable food systems. And therefore, we also support the European Union's Green Deal objective to be the first climate neutral region in the world by 2050. And I think we should even go further than that and strive for climate positivity. And I think that's where um, agricultural policy and agricultural subsidies have an important role to play um, but this repurposing is is indeed very interesting and and, and i think also needed and uh, i i very much appreciate the role that green technology can play in that from our end uh, what is important and i would really like to subscribe to what theo said before um an, an emphasis on soil health is going to be absolutely critical um we produce uh, indirectly or directly 95 percent of our food through soils and soils are therefore sort of the starting point uh, of, of everything that we are doing and a concept that i would like to put forward here which is not so much a practice of agriculture but more a mindset is regenerative agriculture to make sure that we extract from the bottom from the soil but in a way that we replenish that we readjust and, and and that we that we make things better again uh, generation after generation and it is there where our companies feel very passionate about working with farmers uh, to share technology to um create also fa- uh, private finance schemes uh, to reward far- farmers and i think that the, the the kind of words that i would like to 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 particularly highlight here is de-risking and incentivizing we need to de-risk the transition that farmers have to undergo in moving towards more sustainable agricultural practices and we have to incentivize them so that indeed also the income and sort of the profitability of the farmers but also of the other parts of the chain are are ensured and regenerative agriculture provides that that mindset that we need so it's probably a combination of private as well as public funding uh, that will do the trick uh, and and um i think what you what you can particularly see in relation to green technology is that there also is a need to link that to the research agenda uh, i can only see say from an eu point of view that the european union has earmarked 320 million uh, billion dollars uh, euros sorry for uh soil health research so really trying to uh in in find these kind of solutions these technologies and so forth that make uh, uh improvements to the soil so um we need to move i think from a agricultural policy focus to a food policy focus and with that also adapt the funding and the research and uh, etc and make sure that there is coherence in all of what we do, we are doing uh, where of course then our industry has an important role to play in bridging the farm to the fork uh, and and we are ready also to step up that uh, that exercise in in the coming period together with the international institutions that are obviously also needed in the it, uh, to, to glo- drive this global transition thank,
0: thank you. you very thank you very much dirk for um talking about how repurposing can fit into this agenda of getting to to climate neutrality or perhaps even climate positivity as you say in 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 the food uh, systems sector and also for highlighting the importance of soil health. This is, I think, really high on the agenda right now following the discussions last week of about 80 uh, agricultural ministers that met in Berlin to to discuss uh, soil health. So I'm sure we'll come back to that topic as well. Um, Let me now, uh, before moving on to the next uh, set of uh, panelists, uh, again, remind our audience, please do get your questions into us. Uh, We've got lots of great people on this panel to answer them. Uh, please submit your questions on ifpre.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag #AskIfpri on Twitter. Uh, our next three speakers are going to look at this topic from the perspective of how do we take this agenda forward, uh, to what extent has it already been raised in a number of international fora. Uh, we're, we're sorry that the Minister of Agriculture from Indonesia, His Excellency uh, Limpo, could not be with us today. But we're thrilled to kick off today with Annabelle Gonzalez. Annabelle serves as the Deputy Director General at the World Trade Organization. Um, she has also had a stint at the World Bank, and of course, she was the former Minister of Trade in Costa Rica. Annabelle, thank you for joining us and for talking about uh, the repurposing agenda and how it. Sort of intersects and fits into international trade disciplines and topics around those
8: disciplines that are taking place. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, uh, Charlotte, and it's a real pleasure to be here uh, with uh, you, with the rest of the panelists, and uh, and the audience, of course. And let me start by commending IFPRI and the World Bank and the and the authors uh, for their groundbreaking new study the study finds we know that agricultural support can deliver important gains for poverty reduction nutrition climate and economy provided it is repurposed to foster investments in innovation and that's a very significant finding and a potential step change not only in how we think about the reform of agricultural support policies but also in how we think about opportunities for international trade cooperation to enable the transformation of agri-food systems And let me mention three specific opportunities at the wto the first opportunity is to recall that the wto agricultural rulebook is itself structured to encourage a transition from production or trade distorting support to non-trade distorting support that's in line with the idea of repurposing that is at the core of this study and it's also in line with the steps that some countries have taken over the past two decades uh, to reform agricultural support driven by a growing awareness of environmental degradation, budgetary constraints and negotiations to further reduce production distorting support. For example, some WTO members have implemented new environmental programs or have increased support for existing ones. Between the year 2000 and 2016, total reported expenditure on environmental programs quadrupled to $36 billion. The top 10 users of environmental program payments in 2016 where in descending order, uh, China, the European Union, the United States, Japan, Switzerland, Norway, Chinese Taipei, Australia, Mexico, and Canada. And we've also seen some steps by countries to move away from trade and production distorting domestic support towards environmental programs and other forms of non-trade distorting support. And this is not only the case of um, advanced economies like the European Union and Switzerland, but also in developing uh, ones such as Brazil and Costa Rica. Some WTO members have also made part of their payments uh, conditional on compliance with certain environmental criteria, uh, for example, uh, in the EU. Now, these are significant developments, but they uh, they fall well short uh, of the transformation of agricultural support envisioned in your study. Using the WTO methodology, current production uh, or trade-storting uh, support total around $100 billion in 2017, 2018, and around 124 billion in 2016 the latest year for which the data set is more complete now if one include so called green box support that is non-trade distorting support the amount of support increases to around 360 billion dollars in 2017-2018 and 588 billion dollars in 2016 Uh, This latter figure is similar in magnitude to the OECD's estimate of $638 billion in net uh, transfers, of which $456 billion was support to agricultural producers. So this to say that that's a lot of taxpayers' money invested, but not necessarily uh, well invested in agriculture. So in moving forward, it makes sense to take a coherent approach, which ensures that the full range of trade policies affecting food and agricultural markets deliver progress across the multiple goals of food security, livelihoods, and sustainability. And this means that agricultural trade policy reform efforts should focus not just on government support. Uh, efforts should also look at reducing tariffs and non-tariff barriers, because if left unaddressed, uh, these barriers could undermine subsidy reduction efforts and work against food security and rural livelihoods, both at home and abroad. And that brings me to the second opportunity for WTO members, which is the negotiation of new and improved global rules. The ongoing agricultural negotiations at the WTO seek to deliver outcomes in agricultural trade policy reform to make markets fairer, more competitive, and more resilient to future crises. Rules to discipline production or trade distorting support are at the core of these negotiations, along with issues such as public stockholding for food security purposes, Market access, export restrictions, export competition, the special safeguard mechanism, and transparency. And meaningful progress on these issues is urgent and would make a tangible contribution to improve support and other trade policies underpinning food and agricultural systems. But so far, agreement has proved elusive, and we know that it's challenging. Now, the good news is that the WTO members have continued to work on a broad range of initiatives that would strengthen the incentives for investments in innovation to the benefits of agri-food systems. And uh, let me just uh, enumerate briefly negotiations in the area of digital trade, uh, in the area of uh, investment facilitation, and also in the area of uh, green technologies. And I'd be happy to expand more uh, about this. Which brings me to my final point, which is opportunity for cooperation on agricultural support The digital transformation, investment facilitation, and green technologies must go hand in hand with support to ensure that no one is left behind. So, in conclusion, this is an impactful, important, and impressive piece of work. It provides powerful insights into what's wrong with current agricultural trade policies and how we could fix them to meet the priorities of this century, not the last. The challenges to get there are, are significant. And it's only by working together that we can bring about the reforms needed to make a real difference for our economies, for our societies and for the natural environment. Thank you very much, Charlotte.
0: Thank you so much, Annabelle, and and great to highlight that this really is very much in line with the longstanding move to try to transfer domestic support from a trade distorting uh, uh, approach to a, a non-trade distorting uh, approach and thank you also for that call out for greater reform of international uh, disciplines I'm sure you'll get a question about when the ministerial is is going to to be taking place um, and also I'm sure there will be some questions about the, the work that you uh, referred to on, on green technology taking the discussions taking place among uh, WTO members Uh, Let me now turn to Nick uh, Bridge, Uh, Nick serves as the Special Representative for Climate Change um, at the Foreign uh, Commonwealth and Development Office of the UK. Uh, Nick, the the question we're asking to you is, is how does this repurposing agenda fit into the um, climate change negotiations and to what extent do you see it already maybe making an appearance in some of the national commitments? Uh, Thanks very much for joining us today.
9: Thank you, Charlotte and, and Mary, and to all the uh, IFPRI and World Bank colleagues for this collaboration and this very good report. Others have uh, stressed, um, and I fully agree, the value of this, this uh, weighty new body of evidence, particularly around the sort of triple benefits and, and the risks of not getting that right. So thank you for the opportunity to speak from the UK. Uh, and particularly, as you say, uh, Charlotte, in our current presidency of the of the COP, Um, At COP26, as as you know, and I hope it came through strongly, you know, we really, really try to invest heavily like never before in the nature and agriculture and food systems aspects of uh, climate change. Um, We were helped, I think, by the fact that uh, the climate and environmental and, and economic and financial communities had talked somewhat in silos for many years and in the year or two on the run up to COP we did start to get a better understanding of the holistic nature the complex system uh, and that everything affects everything else and so we tried to bring agriculture food production and land use very much to the center of our discussions and we had some really new and impressive big uh, commitments around this nature agenda which i think appeals to ordinary people they can relate you know billions of people around the world in small households farming uh everybody around the world eating food and and increasingly thinking about how to do that in a more sustainable and nutritious way and uh, all of the risks that we've we've heard about the need managing so it was an agenda that appealed i think at cop we made some really good progress in partnership with the world bank Uh, on our policy action agenda, so this report and ongoing work really will help support that uh, as we take it forward uh, and set the the, uh, goals for that this year. We also had our agricultural breakthrough um, uh, signature agreement, so basically the three or four big areas uh, where we have to tackle emissions dramatically and rapidly, agriculture being one, we set these very successful breakthrough um, goals where many uh, allies came together and said that by 2030, we will ensure and commit to ensuring that the most uh, affordable and most uh, widespread adoption of uh, agricultural and food practices will be the sustainable practices that fit with the combination of climate, environmental and economic goals. So um, the policy action agenda and the agricultural um, uh, breakthrough were big things in the preceding years obviously we've also given huge growing weight quite rightly to adaptation and resilience and to the just uh, transition and the fact that the poorest and the most vulnerable are hit hardest and earliest and so i think this also links into uh, the remarks from our uh, farmer um, representation around soil and around standards and around supply chains I, uh mary and i co-chaired uh, our work all of last year on sustainable supply chains also, which led into COP recognizing this point that the um, uh, the degradation and the emissions are primarily caused uh, on the uh, pull and demand side from the wealthiest industrialized countries. And that's where I just wanted to make my quick um, summary reflections. I mean, one point is just how much thinking is now going on in uh, the industrialized world. We heard from the authors that, that the Europe us and china is where the majority uh, of the problem is in terms of the lack of sustainability and the scale of emissions this is a theme running through our cop presidency that the the wealthy industrialized and and big emerging emitters have to get their house in order um, first and so we need a very differentiated understanding now as the authors recognized as to what this policy mix means and that the biggest uh, emitters and the most unsustainable and large-scale producers need to act first and get their house in in order uh, on a more positive note it's striking how much thinking is going on in the uk obviously um having departed from the european union there is now an imperative to and, and, a, and a desire to uh, really move faster on the uh, reform of our agricultural support systems for which this work will be um uh contributing um uh, the uh, the issues also that, that came out strongly in COP and that are very relevant to this agenda around urgency and around scale, one of my first jobs in government 25 years ago was looking at common agricultural policy reform and we have not come very far in 25 years, we have just 10 years to pretty much halve global emissions. So the urgency with which we need to now start to implement these um uh, uh these issues is is it's absolutely striking. And we talk also about scale, needing to do it everywhere. But I just want to stress, as others have done, that the, the differential nature of the implementation, it's a completely different story as to how we regenerate, maintain our soil, and have more sustainable practices in in the industrial world, industrialized world versus uh in in some of the Uh, poorest and developing uh, countries. So there's a lot of work here, a lot of provocation from the report to think urgently and at scale, uh, but in a differentiated way. Um, uh, We really want to stress that this year of COP presidency is a year of delivery for us. We did COP26, but it's not. It's just the beginning. Uh, And we have a huge amount to do that we've signed up to with partners ahead of Sharm El Sheikh at the end of this year and beyond Uh, really encouraging links now with the Food Systems Summit, uh, the UN Food Summit and all these other um, processes so that we can take a more holistic and therefore more successful approach together. So thank you very much for the opportunity from the UK to uh, to make those points and to listen to the insights and to listen to the debate from uh, those on the line with questions and comments. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Nick. And, and yes, the UK did really put such a spotlight on food systems and agriculture at the COP. And in addition, of course, the Cornuvia uh, work program on agriculture also reached some some first conclusions. So I think that was really fantastic, because in general, I think the perception is that maybe food systems haven't really been considered properly in the context of the of the climate change uh, negotiations. Um, Our next and final panelist is uh, is Anne Tuttweiler. Anne serves as the senior advisor to the Just Rural Transition, which is a coalition that is tackling a lot of important topics. And they have uh, put a special spotlight also on on repurposing. So great to have you with us, Anne. I I hand over to you.
10: Thank you so much, Charlotte. And um, it's always a pleasure to to be, as we say, batting cleanup uh, in these kinds of of meetings and discussions. Um, so just a quick couple of words on the gestural transition. This uh, gestural transition was launched actually at the Climate Action Summit in 2019 uh, in collaboration, uh, Nick, with the uh, UK government. And we have been on this agenda of repurposing uh, agricultural support since that time. And what is so wonderful about this report that, that the bank and IFRI has have just released for me is that it makes some of those conversations that we've been having at an abstract level, I would say, to be very concrete, to be to be able to say, here are what, what options exist and what we need to do and which direction we move. Because I think one of the surprising things for me out of this report was you know, we've been thinking a lot about this conditionality um, of transferring funds to farmers for conditionality, but, this report says that's not the best strategy, and I think that's a really important outcome for for um, all of the policymakers to to understand as we move forward. I, I want to um, echo the comments, of course, that that tail made and the world farmers organization is a huge partner of ours in this um, initiative about the need for multi stakeholder conversations and about the need for engaging farmers in these dialogues um, at the national level, because so often it's the farmers who, um, initially are opposed to some of these kinds of changes, but, um, but they are the ones who need to embrace, embrace the changes. I would also have to say, I'm, I'm many of you know, I'm, I'm teaching two courses at, uh, at a college in North Carolina on food systems transformation. And my students were shocked to understand the, the links between the food system environment and health. In the first set of readings i assigned and so it's not just the farmers and Teo talked about the need to to reach out to consumers right at the who are at the end or the beginning of the value chain depending on your perspective there i think there's a real lack of understanding about around from citizens and voters about how these issues link together and what this value for money which i think was one of the important pieces of the if bank report what that really means in terms of their tax dollars and what they're getting in terms of their, their food supply um, you know one of the challenges in, and ruben mentioned this this green innovation is is not an easy agenda because we are in many cases starting from scratch in a number of countries, or starting from a very low base in terms of the the investment that is going into green innovation, so I think it's something we're going to have to be more articulate about what that actually means, what those kinds of policies look like. Um, one of the things I'd like to ask the WTO, Annabelle, is, um, you know, when you talk about when the WTO talks about green subsidies, you know, those are not necessarily Green, as in the meaning that we're talking about here, and I think a, a a better understanding of what is actually green in an environmental sense in the green box would be quite helpful here as countries try to see you know where they need to shift um shift their support um, in terms of um what the gestural transition is planning to to be doing in the next year, so we were um as Nick mentioned, very engaged in this uh, policy action agenda uh, that the bank and FCDO launched at uh, at the climate summit. And we're gonna continue to work with the countries who've signed onto that um, policy action agenda and with the uh, FCDO, uh, UK government and the bank in uh, developing these policy dialogues that, were, that began last year and really are, are working with ministers of agriculture and senior officials in departments of agriculture about helping them understand, you know, how to move forward on this agenda and how to move forward collectively. And I think that's an important uh, message that's coming out of this report. Um, We also, of course, are going to work closely with the UK government on the COP agenda. And I think Nick covered covered that off quite well. Um, One of the things that people may not be aware of here is that the um, FAO has committed that its uh, State of Food and Agriculture, State of Food and Security report, this will come out this summer, is going to focus on this repurposing dialogue. So I think that's another opportunity where the industrial transition will be quite engaged, working with FAO on that report, uh, helping to, to contribute in whatever way we can. But it's another opportunity to um, educate, and inform, and engage a multi-stakeholder conversation around these issues. Um, I just wanted to um, come back to um, the comments about uh, that Dirk made on the private side. So the other pillar of the transition is um, private sector investment. And the World Business Council for Sustainable Development is leading that. And I, I think we need to really be talking much more about how investments in the public sector can help generate and incentivize the private sector to make the kinds of investments and support for green technology innovations, you know, all the way through the chain, not just at farm level but, um, that we've already been talking about. So again, I applaud IFPRI on this report. I, I do think the political economy challenges that others have mentioned are, are quite significant, but in a way, they're less significant than the agenda that some of us were were working on, uh, as Ruben said 25 years ago, um, to totally um, eliminate uh, trade-distorting subsidies. I think this is a much richer conversation to have. It's gonna be much more, um, countries will be much more open to hearing about how to retool and re-envision their agriculture uh, for the future. So thank you so much and appreciate being on the program.
0: Thank you very much, Anne, great, great comments. And we're gonna come back to your question uh, to Annabelle about uh, the fact that the green box initially was just meant sort of signified non-trade distorting support, but how do we move to green in in, in its other sense? But before we come to you, Annabelle, I'm, I'm gonna turn to, to Will Martin now, we are entering the, the Q&A sessions and we've got a lot of questions here asking you to be a bit more specific uh, about what we mean by green innovation. And there's actually, I'm gonna read you a few questions on this topic. That the first one is actually uh, a, a kind of a a, a, a very interesting question. So, so an anonymous questioner is asking us whether, this overriding focus of this report on investing isn't a bit like the implementation of the Green Revolution in the 60s, when of course uh, there was a lot of focus on investing in, in high productivity technology. So maybe you could speak to that. Uh, and then let me uh, read you a few more. So uh, Wynand is is asking, could you be a bit more specific about what green innovations actually are? um uh lena mahi of the world health organization wants to know again definition of green innovation and whether indigenous practices are uh encompassed in that definition and then another question from veronica Mwangi from kenya uh whether you could uh, speak to investing in green innovation uh, in the context of smallholder farmers in, in Sub-Saharan Africa. So that's a lot of questions, uh, uh, but hopefully you can you can take those in, in one group, Will.
3: Well, great. Well, thank you, uh, Charlotte, and thank you everyone for these great questions. Um, what we have in mind by green innovations is simply um, innovations that can increase productivity and reduce um, the emissions from, from agriculture um we we were motivated and influenced a lot by some very um interesting innovations that have occurred in uh ruminant um uh, livestock raising um and in in rice you know and those are the areas where the biggest emissions are um so what many things have been tried um to to reduce emissions from from ruminants uh, but the thing that appears to be the most successful now is um dietary change um, not vaccination and not many of the other things but but simply adding uh, for one, one of the additives that works very well is red uh, particular red seaweed that seems to give Massive reductions in emissions and 40 50% reductions in emissions. um, While increasing productivity and it's not too surprising that this can be done, because when you think about it, the vast amounts of emissions that are coming uh, from ruminants are methane, um, you know, a potent um, greenhouse gas, but also a form of energy that can be used to for productive purposes so um, we're also influenced by recent research looking at alternate wetting and drying of rice so that rather than having a flooded field continuously um uh, you know, wetting and drying uh, reducing water inputs raising productivity that way um, and reducing the emissions from from agriculture now we're very conscious that these uh, studies that we we look at and we cite are for specific contexts that will need to be a lot of adaptive research for instance um extending those innovations to to kenya that that's going to be um uh, to inland parts of kenya that's going to be the the livestock that's going to be kind of a, a challenge and that's where a lot more um, research development extension is going to be um, to be needed um, uh, but you know farmers and I, I'm sure Theo would would endorse this you know when farmers see something that's very worthwhile uh, they're very very interested um, in in adopting it uh, farmers right around the world even though despite their very different agroecological, um uh, contexts. so just very briefly on this.
0: Thank, thanks very much, will Annabelle, do you want to answer the question about the uh, green green support?
8: well, uh, i I have to start probably by uh, reminding everyone of course of what uh, what the wTO rules in this uh, area are, which is that uh, the the you know in order to to so the wTO uh, as we know uh defines uh defines uh um support uh based on uh like the traffic lights and uh in uh, green box uh, is uh the green box is defined in annex two of the agricultural agreement and in order to qualify for um uh, for uh, a green box a subsidy must not distort trade or at most cost uh, minimal distortion uh to trade they have to be government funded that is not uh by you know not by charging consumers uh, higher prices and must not involve uh, price support. And they normally tend to be programs that are not targeted at particular products uh, and include direct income uh, support for farmers that are not related uh, to current production levels or prices. They also include environmental protection and uh, regional development uh, programs and the fact that green box subsidies um, are allowed without uh, limits uh, provided that they follow this uh, policy specific criteria uh, is, of course, and has been, of course, and continues to be a um, a source of uh, a source of discussion, um, you know, it, this the view among some members that uh, some green subsidies are closely targeted at the achievement of a concrete environmental goals, Um, but there is concern uh, that others uh may be um you know disguised disguised uh, income support uh payments and some may even uh provide support to um activities that may be damaging uh to the environment but you know there there's a, there's a lot of discussion about you know whether a program uh, can fall or not within the green box uh and then uh sometimes you know just the amounts uh, that can be provided under the green box may in itself have some kind of distortionary uh impact. So so the discussion is ongoing. I I don't think that uh you know there is still um there there is any convergence of views on on this issue, uh, but it is uh one uh one element that of course is uh, is present in the in the discussions on the WQ on this topic and going forward. And I think um it, Certainly the report takes a bit of a different uh view. And I would see this kind of ideas coming, you know, coming coming forward in conversations as uh as the environment takes a greater focus in the context of WTO uh discussions on uh, in agriculture as well.
0: Great. Uh thank you very much, Annabelle. Let me turn uh, with this next set of questions to to Rob Voss. Um there are some questions here about what was and what perhaps was not uh, included in the models of the study. Uh, So Rachel Waterhouse from from the FCDO is asking whether um, the the report only uh, uh, looks at environmental gains in terms of uh, uh, achievements through limiting land use expansion or whether you also looked at variables around biodiversity and soil health. And a similar question from an anonymous questioner is whether you also looked at implications for agricultural water use and and water savings. And then I'm gonna throw in a third question, but this one I'll direct to Dirk. Um, uh, Interesting question, somewhat provocative from the World Health Organization is, how your group dirk uh, responds to the idea of repurposing policies to shift from unhealthy to healthy foods um so over first to you rob and then uh, to to dirk uh,
4: thanks Charlotte, and uh, thanks uh, for that question yeah well we, we can capture a lot in the in the global model is it's a global model of the of the global economy with a lot of specification of agricultural mm-hmm. sectors but also with interaction with with uh, nature and emission and, uh, intensities, as well as the link to uh, other food system outcomes, including uh, what it does for food security, uh, but also for poverty uh, and uh, the cost of uh, of diets. Uh, so we capture all that. So in this more specific question, um, we do focus on particularly on emissions that come from agriculture production and the whole production process, but not just at the agricultural level, but also in, in other uh, parts of the uh, of, uh, food uh, supply chains, uh, as well as on the impacts on land use change. And that also indirectly gives us the sense of what it might do to biodiversity. With that complexity, we haven't fully captured, but we do capture that in the sense of what um, um yeah what what amount of uh, land is being uh, taken or used for agriculture and that may mean the cleaning of uh, forest uh, and through that um, uh, reduction in biodiversity so a bit of an indirect measure so we do take that into account um uh, we we potentially also look at the water use that's also variable in the model but we haven't uh, specifically looked at it uh, for for this analysis that's something that uh, we could do moving forward and importantly, that uh, things that uh, Teo and, and others uh, have alluded to the importance of uh, of soils and the quality of soils. Um, uh, that's part of a future uh, development of the model because that's very important for uh, sequestering uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And not just that, but also for the um, the productivity effects per se. Right. So those interaction effects that uh, we hope to uh, start capturing in, in the next iteration of this analysis. But that said, I think we already ca- captured quite a bit of what's, um what is important. Um, so uh, hopefully, that uh, fact that if we don't capture everything should take away from uh, yeah what we put on the agenda and uh, inform the policy and investment decision makers uh, about these findings.
0: Thanks, thanks, Rob. Uh, Dirk, do you want to say something about the uh, the focus on better nutritional outcomes?
7: Yes, thank you very much. Uh, For that question, Um, indeed, if we talk about repurposing uh, vis-a-vis sustainable food systems, then we're talking also about health and nutrition and uh, absolutely tackling uh, and addressing all forms of malnutrition is therefore important. Um, I think it is important to realize that this is not necessarily linear. And that you also there need to take a very integrated approach and I've seen in the report that um, the the productivity driven growth, in fact, helps to reduce poverty helps to generate generate nutritional benefits through um, better affordable healthy diets and I think that's that's some of these interlinkages that are very interesting to explore so. um, Finding those triple wins through the repurposing exercise, uh, good for the environment, good for health and good for the economy or the prosperity. I think that's, that's where you will find those touch points of nutri- uh, uh, repurposing also in the nutrition and health space.
0: Right. Thanks. Thanks very much, Dirk. Um, Theo, uh, a number of questions here about farmers. So let me read you a few of them, and and you can respond. Bruce Campbell of Climate is is wondering, uh, subsidies often go directly to farmers equals voters. Um, Is the study too optimistic about support for green options, given that they may not give immediate benefits to farmers? Very important question. And then uh, Veronica Laszlo from Hungary, she's a doctoral student, is asking, uh, she says in her country in Hungary, uh, many farmers simply do not trust the system or do not feel that the public politics would support them. Um, So how can we build up the trust uh, of farmers in your opinion? How can this happen all across the, 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 the food value chain? And then a question um, from Ngobi Jackson, who's the chief executive officer of Kagulu Food Company Limited. Um, She is wondering, or he, sorry, uh, how is this agenda going to reach um, uh, populations engaged in agriculture in in poor countries, uh, in particular, given that they have really very limited access to this kind of information? Over to you, Theo.
5: It is so. There's there's just no way we can ignore the politics behind the um, the public support systems. Um, but but it's not only farmers who are voters. Actually, lately there are fewer and fewer farmers in most of the competitive agricultural countries. Um, and, and and I firmly believe that consumers have a stronger political impact than anyone else in the value chain. This is why we need to focus our communication so strongly on consumers as as farmers uh, speaking from the world farmers organization we went to lengths to ensure a proper um, and and a solid partnership with the, the various consumer structures in the world and we also try to assist our members to link up with the structures that represent consumers in each country those are the two mass-based constituencies the farmers and the consumers in our food systems and if we do not make them excited about what we need to do we will simply not manage to do it i want to take it one step further and say we 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 love to put the emphasis on the younger consumers too if we cannot put stars in the eyes of those consumers and those farmers who are not yet 35 about what we need to change, it's not going to get changed. In on the issue of trust, the question from from Hungary, this is why, in my intervention, I also put such such pressure or such emphasis on on the issue of trust. Um, we need to be as transparent as possibly can be. And we must communicate literally every day throughout the value chain about what we want to achieve. This thing is not a wagon of which we just release the brake and it will run by itself. It's a wheelbarrow. We need to pick it up and push it. And if we don't push it, it's not going anywhere. And, 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 and we are too few to push. We need the broader population, the consumers and the producers to push with us. Um, and, and, and the questions say to me that even in some of the more competitive countries, trust is a big issue. We need to restore trust. We need to build trust. And it takes time and effort. It does not happen by itself. It needs pushing. And then when it comes to the the impact and also our strategies in the poorer countries, how to involve the farmers who are more um, in the smallholder realm um, and and also how to get buy-in from them, you know? Five years ago, I would have been scared to answer this question. But over the last five years, I was amazed to see in my visits throughout Africa, and I really went into the deep rural areas to farmers on the farms, I was amazed to see that even amongst the poorest of smallholders, there's a mobile phone somewhere in that family. They are pushing for connectivity as much as they are pushing for proper roads to link them to markets. I think the age of digitalization allows us, well, more than we imagined five years ago, to really reach to those farmers too. And not only to reach them, to allow ourselves to be reached by them. And I would also plead that we, we, we put some funding, some budgets behind an effort to ensure that we we communicate and and, and use digital technology to bring home the message and also to to make sure that there's proper ownership of the message in the poorer countries, the the small, older-based agricultural systems.
0: Thank you, Theo. Um, We have uh, just a, a couple of minutes left before we go to our closing panel. Um, so I'm going to ask for 30 second uh, answers first from uh, Ruben. Um, Sammy Kahembo is picking up on the point raised by Anne. How, how can the private sector be incentivized to increase investments in green innovations? I'm sure Kosai might have looked at that topic. And then uh, a question for Anne. Um, how can food systems reach net zero emissions by 2050? Or as somebody on the panels that maybe even uh, reach positivity, uh um by that uh by that date and is repurposing enough what else do we need to do i.e carbon pricing big questions but short
6: answers please uh uh over to you ruben then Anne. yeah that's a big one i, I think uh, on the private sector uh is, is very important uh, just to pick on on what uh, will martin was saying about mitigation for livestock we, we there are best practice available already to improve Forages to improve animal breeds and to improve the management of cattle. I'm talking about grasslands in the global south, not not feedlots uh, in industrial agriculture. So, having those, how to scale up those practices is is, is all about, I think, a combination of civil society, farmer organizations, public policy, and a lot of private sector. Uh, The big big pull there is, is that in the future, hopefully, value chains will pay for those green innovations knowing that, for example, livestock production will be much greener than before. On on the same rice, sure, alternative wet and drying is a fantastic uh, technical practice. However, how much of that water is being subsidized? So by reducing those subsidies, you may get much more alternative wet and drying. So there's a a big combination, I think, between what private sector and public can do. Uh, We found, in Kosai, just to finish, that uh, most of the funding for innovation in the global south is still coming from governments. It's still coming from governments. Uh, private sector is growing, but it should grow much more having the right policy context and so on. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Ruben. And now you have about 10 seconds
10: to answer. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so, you know, my answer, I, I don't think repurposing is enough. I think this, this report shows us it's not enough. Um, we do need, I think, incentives for farmers to um, you know, provide carbon sequestration, carbon sinks, uh, you know, payments for ecosystem services. I know they're tough, but I think there are types of incentives we can start putting in, in place. But we also need an alignment of all the other government policies that are affecting the food and ag sector. Right. It's not just these subsidies and Teo mentioned the, the, the standards. Um, I would, I would just say one last thing. I think, you know, if you look at the, the key, um, indicators that industry has and buyers of, of food have, it's always about the cheapest, right? I mean, that's what you get. you, You tell your buyers buy the cheapest. And I think we have to move away from defining cheap as just the price, but looking at all these other costs that are embedded or benefits that are embedded in how production is practiced. And I think if we can start changing the incentives also within the private sector about what they're buying and how and why, we can start getting the incentives aligned across that entire value chain. So I hope that answers
0: the question. Thanks, Anne, and thanks so much to all the questioners. We've really had a lot of questions, and and a lot of them pertain to political economy, a very important topic. And and one of our closing speakers is going to, to get to that very important topic. Um, let's first uh, hear from Martin van uh, Nieuwkoop. He's the Global Director for Agriculture and the Food Global Practice at the World Bank. Uh, Martin, how, how, can you just briefly describe how the World Bank is taking this agenda forward?
11: Very good. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Charlotte. And, and thanks to everybody for a great presentation and a great uh, discussion, great questions as well. Um, just a few takeaways, I mean, from the perspective of the, of the World Bank, uh, from where we are sitting. Uh, I think the first takeaway is that uh, climate and agriculture are very closely interlinked. Of course, um, I think the challenges that we face today, I mean, require that we sharpen our focus on the sustainability and the resilience of the food system. Uh, at the same time, you know, very closely paying attention to the trade-offs. Uh, that the policy responses may have for farmers, food security and nutrition outcomes. I think that also came very clearly in the discussion. Also the new modeling for the report is actually very clear. I mean, the business as usual part is unacceptable. I mean, we cannot stand by and witness a doubling in emissions by 2040. I mean, we think that repurposing is not necessary, but probably got the sufficient conditions for having a global uh, food system that support healthy people, plants and an economy. Uh, addressing climate change is a, is a priority for the World Bank. I mean, agriculture and food is prioritized. as one of the key transitions uh, in our new climate change action plan that was adopted uh, last year. Um, my second takeaway, I mean, listening to everybody, is that agriculture policies and public support programs are really ripe for change. I mean, Mari was, of course, mentioning the huge hidden cost. Uh, At the same time, you know, when farmers, you know, bear the brunt of climate change, volatile markets, and costly inputs, I mean, government support is essential. And Theo was talking about it. At the same time, support could be much better targeted, I mean, to deliver better value for money, better benefits to farmers, and better on development outcomes, of course. And I think here the report's key finding is that repurposing a part of the current domestic support towards investment in green innovation that targets both emissions and higher productivity can deliver multiple wins for people, the planets and the economy. So those trade-offs can be mentioned. At the same time I think that can also it's clearly in the, in the discussion I mean transforming policies that govern the food systems are also highly you know this is also highly contextual and that brings me to my final point. You know, we need to think globally and act locally. I think that was also reflected in the discussion. You know, collective and coordinated global action will achieve multiple gains, but at the same time, the policy change needs to happen at the country level. I mean, rooted within the country-specific opportunities and, and constraints, of course. And I think in that respect, the report, I mean, supports a growing consensus uh, that repurposing is a key path forward to deliver these multiple gains, and there is indeed a critical agenda for the G7, the G20, and the COP to take that forward. And it's good to see that we have actually momentum in, the, in those spaces. Also, as mentioned by Anne, you know, and and others, I mean, the past year, the UK government, the World Bank, and the and the just real transition. I mean, we convened a series of global policy dialogues where countries were identified and shared experiences. I mean, did they have to take to redirect their policies to transition to sustainable agricultural practices? So, more than 30 countries engaged in those policies, dialogues, and policy action agenda uh, that emerged. So, there's also action happening on the ground. And through our Food Systems 2030 initiative, I mean, that Mari also mentioned, this is supported by Germany, the UK, European Commission. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, so we are already working now in 15 countries to identify repurposing actions and assess the specific trade-offs at the country levels, and of course also the synergies of their existing agriculture policies and public spending. Clearly there's no one-size-fits-all solution. I mean, ultimately transforming food systems to deliver better development outcomes require county-specific local analysis backed by multi-stakeholder dialogues with full inclusions of the farmers, I mean, to make sure that all voices are heard in the policymaking process. You know, at the same time, I think, as mentioned during the discussion today, and Theo mentioned that, I mean, providing incentives to farmers to invest in healthy soils, I mean, we think could provide a very good entry point in moving this agenda forward and also maybe dealing with the political hurdles that we face and that Joe will be talking about. So in conclusion, I mean the repurposing agenda is a very high priority, uh, for the bank. Uh, we are working we are working very hard, I mean, to make this happen on the ground at the county level by putting the money where our mouth is and working closely with governments and development partners in moving this forward. Thank you very much. Back to you, Charlotte.
0: Thank you very much, Martine. Um, we're going to ask Yo Swinen, the director general of IFPRI and the global director for the new sustainable, uh, uh, sorry, systems transformation science group at uh, 1CGIR to close off the seminar. Yo, we've had a lot of references to political economy um, complications, and I'm going to read you, I think, the question that best encapsulates the, the sentiment. Uh, so Nital jetahal has asked, Collective action on the most unproductive forms of support, and uh, he or she points to the the fossil fuel subsidy uh, discussions as well as fishing subsidy discussions, has been lacking at the WTO and OECD for decades. How do we get real progress? You're gonna provide the answer to that uh, tough question.
12: Okay, uh, thanks very much Charlotte. Uh, what a panel this has been. I have followed uh, the, the work on the, in this area for two years now since I joined IFPRI and I've been very excited about this. Thanks very much for our colleagues from the World Bank for doing this jointly with us. We've been uh, It's great to see where we are at this point, but obviously I mean what's come out is more work needs to be done uh, going forward. The question of the seminar was: Can agriculture policies deliver better value for money, uh, better value for money for people, the planet, and the economy? And the answer, I think, is clear: It's yes, it can. Yes, they can. The question is: Will they? Okay, and that's when we come to the political economy uh, question. Now, several of the speakers have referred already to political economy issues. I mean, certainly in, in terms of building coalitions, uh, people who are uh, in favor of the reforms, those are uh, providing, uh, creating obstacles now. We know that any policy reform in the world creates winners and losers. I mean, the distributional issues of these things are really important, both from an economic perspective and a welfare perspective, I think, but also certainly from the political economy perspective. This complicates reforms typically, it creates resistance, and often the people who are hurt by reforms are better uh, or more concentrated because the the costs are typically more concentrated than a reform and the benefit most dispersed. We've heard also several people saying it's even more complex here because the benefits are global, the policies are national and even within the nationalities, within the countries it's specific policies and specific countries which play a disproportionate role. The other thing is, of course, it's the time dimension, the effects, uh, the benefits are long term, although uh, some people say, well, there's urgency is not that long term, we have to think ahead, but still typically the incentives for policymakers are, are more short term. There are also, I mean, you can think, I mean, I think many people know examples why this has not happened, these reforms and such reforms in many areas. And the question that you raised, Charlotte, reflects that. But I think in this case, there's also reasons to be optimistic. Okay, we know that major reforms and act subsidies are possible, actually. We've seen major reforms in the rich countries in the 1990s, the 2000s. I think the EU is a, a good example of moving to less distortionary subsidies. Also in in poor countries, there's been a major reduction in taxation of farms in the 1990s to 2000s. In a way, what I like also about reforms I- I- about the proposal here is that the, the authors have gone, um, have made it very explicit. We are not talking about removing all the subsidies. We're not even talking about changing all the subsidies. We're just talking about the relatively small share if you think about that subsidy reform. And so that I think should really enhance the, fees, the political feasibility. The other thing is something which uh, Ruben has mentioned that uh, the report itself, of course, as well and Will for example, the, the shift to new technologies to improve productivity, etc. This is also going to benefit a lot of farmers who may suffer from reductions in subsidies. So the the complexity of the impacts, I think, is a really important dimension here. Also, the heterogeneity. I think Theo has mentioned that several times. We have to be very. This is great, okay, but that means we can have a big impact here potentially. But also, our work is useful here for the work to better identify the winners and the losers here. And therefore, this brings me to the point of innovations. I mean, people have talked about innovation, technology policy. We need innovations in politics, in political coalition building going forward, along the value chain, across countries, across different new groups, etc. We need to bring new partners in, uh, not just in the in the in the economic effect, but also on on the political side. I think, and several speakers also referred to this. I'm just gonna. Uh, I had a number of other points, but many people have made them already. Let me make. Uh, Two final points. One is on the international institutions. Okay, Martino already made a very strong case. I think the role of uh, the World Bank sees itself playing in this area. I was really uh, very interested in in the contribution from Annabel uh, Gonzalez on the WTO. The WTO played a really important role, I think, in some of the, the major act policy reforms in the 1990s, 2000, for example, in Europe, also the entrance of China, which which really affected the, the the choice of the ag policies in China. The question here is: uh, I understood from Annabelle that the WTO agreements are fine for making these uh, distributions possible, are consistent, but are they enough? Do they change the incentives of the policymakers enough to actually induce them to make the change? And I think there it's much less clarity. And there we have to think. It's also something for us to think further. What are the type of international organization we need for that? I mean, and end by just making the point that many major changes in policy in the world come when you have a, a shock to the system, to the political economy equilibrium, to get out of the political economy inertias that are built in. And I think today we have COVID nineteen has shifted our perspectives on, on food security, on sustainability issues. We are seeing the impact of climate change everywhere on on, on the food systems. And then we've had major summits, with the food systems summit, the COP twenty six nutrition for growth summits. I mean this is a moment in time I think where all these things can come to and we need to use this the the, the momentum the combination of these things to really make uh, a difference and so going back to the opening question can the policy change make a difference I think certainly they can will they I think there's a lot of challenges but there's also room for optimism and for opportunities I think
0: Thank you so much, Yo. Um, I think the challenges are there, but as you say, there's, there's reason to be optimistic. And I'm certainly optimistic after listening to all of these great, great presenters. Thank you very much for joining us for this policy seminar. And a big thank you also to all of the people that have tuned in for your great questions and stay tuned because this, uh, this discussion will, will continue. Many thanks also to IFPRI's um, conference management team. Uh, have a great rest of your day or evening, wherever you may be. Thank you so much.